And I'll have you turn to 1 Peter 3. We're in our third week now of Family Emphasis. Have three more weeks to go after this. The title of our sermon, Husband, Win Your Wife. Two weeks ago, the title of the sermon was Husband, Love Your Wife. Last week, Wife, Submit to Your Husband. This week, Husband, Win Your Wife. Next week, Wife, Win Your Husband. So in these morning uh, messages, I've been focusing particularly on the husband and wife relationship. Uh, in the evening, we've talked about uh, God's purpose in, for family, God's purpose for the church last week as kind of a, an extension of the family. And then tonight we'll be having our first message on raising children. And uh, I encourage you, if you can't make it to these, to, to look online and to, to listen to them. If you're in that stage of life, uh, parents, uh, husband and wife, uh, I, I, I hope that these messages will be very beneficial to you. I mentioned already that two weeks ago we considered this admonition, husbands love your wives, and we discussed just how important this love is to a marriage and to a family. We defined love as an unconditional choice to do that which is best for the object of your love or the one who you love, regardless of self-interest and regardless of circumstances, that you are going to do what is best for the object of your love. We mentioned that love is a choice. It's not inherently an emotion. It's not something that you, as far as biblical love is concerned, it's not something you fall into and out of. Love is a choice that you make to place your love on another. Now certainly, as it comes to husband and wife relationship, typically, at least in our culture, uh, emotions are involved, right? Um, you, you tend to choose a person to marry based upon um, certain things that you like about them or, or characteristics or whatever it might be. In other cultures with arranged marriages, that may not be the case. But the amazing thing about as the Word of God approaches the concept of the husband and wife relationship, the amazing thing about it is it really does not depend upon whether or not you like your spouse. <laughs> um, you can love your spouse either way because the definition of love is rooted in the reality of what Christ did for us, which was not an emotional thing. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross because he emotionally loved us in that way as much as because he chose to place his love upon us and thus the choice to love drove his emotions rather than his emotions driving his, his choices. And we mentioned that in this way, as we love our wives, we love our wives as ourselves because they're indeed a part of our bodies and and uh, we, we seek our wife's success, we can have a very successful marriage. And in this success is indeed contentment and joy. But husbands, in loving our wives, we have the privilege not just to love our wives and so bring them into contentment, but, but to truly win our wives' affections so that your wife is not just content and happy in that she's doing her part, but that she is truly happy to be your wife. And that's what I want to talk about today, is winning your wife. Those extra steps that you take, and, and it's not that this is, um, these are things that are, are necessarily optional, but how you can have some insight into how to interact with your wife so that you can help her, help her become everything that the Word of God is asking her to be. 
The basics of winning your wife are rooted in the scriptural principles which help us identify the differences between men and women and how it is we can help our wives. And we begin with a simple verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, which says this, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. This idea, this, this prohibition to not be bitter against your wife is in reality a fairly broad commandment. It goes well beyond just the danger of resentment. When we think of bitterness, we think of that emotion of resentment uh, where we, uh, somebody does something and we become resentful and we hold it against them and we hold a grudge. And that's what we think of. But in, in the Bible, the, the concept of bitterness it simply means a taint, something which is not what it ought to be. And so uh, this admonition is not just against resentment, but it's about having some taint against your wife, having something between you and her. Instead, you ought to love her. To be bitter against your wife is to fail to cherish her, to fail to honor her, to treat her, uh, to not treat her with the patient and gentle hand of compassionate guidance that our wives need and are entitled to, in fact, by virtue of their position as your wife. So we have this admonition. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. We read in Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19, Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. And then it goes on to say, Be thou ravished always with her love. That your wife is what you see. That your wife is your focus. That you rejoice with the wife of your youth. That you are ravished with her love. That you have a commitment to her. That you love her. That you cherish her. Husband, your wife is a special woman, and she needs to know it. Not just on Mother's Day, not just on your anniversary. Your wife needs to live out her life with a special place, not just in your heart, but in your actions. And we learn how to do this. We learn a part of how it is we can do this through 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. That's where I asked you to turn. We're only going to look at this one verse this morning, and I'm going to, uh, I, I don't typically do this, but I am going to springboard some application points off of that this morning. In 1 Peter 3, 7, we read this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. This commandment comes on the heels of Paul calling, excuse me, Peter calling for the wives to walk in submission to their husbands. And we'll talk about that next week in the Sunday morning service. It'll be 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, but there's never a call, and I mentioned this before, there's never a call for a wife to submit to her husband where there is not also a call for a husband to love his wife. It is most unfortunate that oftentimes in, in Christian circles, there can be this oversight in the church that calls for female submission, and, and that, that call is legitimate, and it finds traction, but the emphasis for husbands to love their wives is, is much diminished. And it's unfortunate that that happens. And I think one of the reasons why that happens is because when we consider the concept of submission, submission is, is a little bit easier to define, is it not, than love? When we think of submission, there are... Um, some real substantive actions involved in that. I can look at any given action, any given attitude, and I can determine whether or not 
that was done in submission or not, but with love, there's some potential for subjectivity. People perceive love in different ways, don't they? One man will work 80 hours a week to support his family and and a certain lifestyle of his family, and he'll say that's love. Another man will only work uh, 40 hours and won't go a minute over so that he can get home to his family and spend time with them because that's love. Another man will will get his wife flowers once a month and call that love. Another man opens the door for his wife and calls that love. Another man does all these things, and and, and he sees that as love. And and, and so uh, perhaps there's some subjectivity as to love in your mind this morning, and I can't take that away. Every husband in this room, uh, when when I say love your wife, we, we talk about it being an unconditional choice to do what is best for her, but there's going to be some element of subjectivity. In fact, there was in submission too, right? I told our wives last week that when you're talking about submission, I can't tell you directly how it plays out with your husband, what he wants of you, what he doesn't want of you, what he asks you to take on, what he doesn't ask you to take on in the family. But that's why this morning's message uh, is important. That's why the message two weeks ago was important. We tried to define love and give you that overarching principle. Contained within the reality of love is always one thing. And that's the level that we operate on here. Contained within love is always selflessness. Love and selflessness go hand in hand. The man who buys his wife something just to close her mouth is no more loving her in his actions than the man who ignores his wife altogether. Because he's not being selfless, he's being selfish in fact, right? The man who works late for some extra money at the expense of his relationship with his wife is no more loving her than the man who doesn't provide at all if he is selfishly pursuing his goals. Love and selfishness are opposed. Love, at its core, is selfless. And today we're going to go that step farther. I'm going to tell you how this love with which we love our wives can really win them over to us to make it easy for them not just to love us and to trust us and to respect us, but to make it much easier for them to submit themselves unto us. So in this verse, 1 Peter 3, 7, the first thing I would like us to focus on, the first word, first concept, phrase is dwell with them according to knowledge. Literally in the text, live with them according to knowledge. Now just in saying that, we've stepped into foreign territory in much of the world's mind, or at least our culture's mind, as it pertains to women, right? We've all heard the quips. We've seen the pictures. You have a picture. um, The next picture here will be one of those ones that floats around Facebook, right? Women's Instruction Manual, Volume 1, right? And it's it's that huge book, Volume Number 1. The next one has been floating around for a little while as well. You have the man and you have the woman and you've got, the man has the on and off switch, and the women's got all the dials and, and such, and, and these are, are, are funny, and we see them, and they float around, and effectively what all of these are saying is don't even try, men, right? Uh, th- that, that instruction manual, that's volume one, don't even try. It's, it's not even worth your time to try to understand them, to try to wrap your mind around them. And it all leads to this general attitude in culture that it's okay if you don't understand your wife because she has more buttons and knobs than your pickup and you don't even know what all the buttons and knobs in your pickup do, right? So you're not going to figure her out, so just stop trying. 
But that's not what the Bible says. When you see your wife, men, as a Pandora's box of emotions which you are simply unwilling to open because you're afraid of what's inside, you're doing something to your wife which you really don't want to happen. When you fail to understand your wife or even seek to understand your wife, uh, it can lead to different reactions in your wife. One of those is that she, she might just stay shut and become a mere shell of all that she could be if she had a husband who put forth effort into understanding who she is and helping her grow in her strengths, building her weaknesses. She could very well be a stunted woman, a stunted mother, a stunted wife. She could not fulfill her potential, if we can put it in, in a way that we guys might understand. She, she could be a Ferrari stuck in first gear because we are not helping her become what she needs to be. And we'll talk about this a little more later. She is already placing herself under you, which means if you aren't bringing her potential out of her, no one will if she's doing what she's supposed to. But the other thing that could happen is that she will go find someone else who will listen and understand her. Maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a mom, maybe it's a friend. And so somebody else will be listening to her and learning of her that's not you. And you don't want this either. Because then she'll start to grow and she'll start to flourish apart from you. Which is not only not how God created her within the context of marriage, but it's also not helping your relationship with her. She'll be growing and she'll be, she'll be learning and she'll be getting through these things without your guidance, without your input, without your support. And you don't want that either. What do you want? You want to be the shoulder that your wife cries on. You want to be the one who, when your wife is tired or sad or confused, she seeks you out to listen to her. You want to be the one who she trusts to help lift and carry those burdens. You want to be that best friend to her. And this will only happen if you, if, if you take those, those pictures that we saw there and you... You, you get your chuckle and you say, yeah, but that's not at all right. That's not it. You take that stuff and you set it out of your mind. You don't sit around with the guys at the table and say, yeah, I can't understand my life. I don't even try. You've got to get rid of that mindset. You, you must strive to know your wife, to learn about her, and then to apply what you've learned. And that's important too, is it not? Applying what you've learned. You know, there, there are many things within the Christian life where um, we're, we're good at knowing things, but maybe not so good at applying things, right? We, we know the Bible. We know what the Bible says about many aspects of life. We know about sin. We know about righteousness. We know about the Spirit of God. We know God's promises. Uh, but we as Christians can be pretty bad sometimes at taking what we know and living it out, can't we? Husband, what does it matter if you know your wife is sensitive about a certain area? What does it matter if you know that your wife struggles, uh, is self-conscious about her smile, or self-conscious about her weight, or self-conscious about her hair, or self-conscious about her whatever it might be, a blemish? What does it matter if you know about it, if you don't use that knowledge to first protect her emotionally, and then second, to help her grow into understanding 
what it means to have a godly self-image and to not be caught up with, with certain aspects of image that society is telling her she needs to care about. What does it matter if you know your wife's concerns, if you know her weaknesses, if you know where she struggles as a, as a, as a housekeeper, if you know where she struggles as a mother, if you know where she struggles as a help me to you, if you just ignore those things and don't use them to help grow her? What does it matter if you understand your wife's fears if you don't seek to comfort her in the midst of those fears or to help her get over those fears? How does it help your marriage to see the work that needs to be done if you aren't willing to do something about it? I can know as much as I want about my wife, but if I don't dwell with her according to knowledge, it's really kind of useless to me. Or it becomes a place for me to poke and to barb and to jab, right? We've all had some years to get to know our wives, and here most of us at least have had, had several years. And even if you haven't really tried, there's no doubt you've learned some things about what it means to live with your wife. The question is, what have you done with that knowledge? Does what you know about your wife factor into your relationship with her? Do, your, do her concerns for the future or the present, her areas of weakness, her personal strengths, do these factor into how you treat her? When you, when you have a, a to-do list of what you'd like for her to do for the day or or when, when you all are, when you're planning your vacation, or uh, fill in the blank. Are you factoring in your wife's cares, concerns, strengths, and weaknesses into how you're interacting with her, how you treat her, what responsibilities you ask her to perform, even the tone with which you speak to her, or when you speak to her about certain things? And as I mentioned, you know what we have the tendency to do instead, and this is really a terrible thing, and maybe I'm just generalizing here, I'm not attempting to accuse here, but do you know what I found couples oftentimes do instead? And this is not just husband to wife, this is wife to husband as well. We have a tendency to take the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of our spouses and to, to exploit them. To, to make them the butt of jokes, to use their frustrations to coerce or manipulate them into to, um, guilt, uh, um, to emotionally feeling guilty when, when they can't do something or or if they want to do something that you don't want them to do. And, and we take those vulnerable areas and we prick them and we poke them and we, 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 we make fun of them uh, around the other guys or we, we exploit them in some way. And we all know that the, the more you love somebody, the more you let them in, the more vulnerable you become to them, which means men and women the most vulnerable person in your life is probably your spouse because they have trusted you with more information, with more of their emotions, with more of their desires, with more of their feelings than anyone else, which means you have more power to hurt them than anyone else in the world. And if we use their, our wife's vulnerabilities as gotcha points, or as the point of jokes, to coerce them, to guilt them, to remind them of their failings. We're doing it wrong. We're taking our position of trust, a position which your wife has given to you in love and submission, and you're using it at her expense. And that is not loving your wife, as the Bible tells you to do. It should never be named among believing husbands. 
to act this way. Your wife is not a toy to be tossed around, to be kicked around in the yard. She is something precious. She is something special. She is something worthy of your care, your concern, your protection, your love. And that brings us to the next phrase in 1 Peter chapter 3. So he says, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Paul says that our wives are in a position where they should be treated with honor, literally that we should value and esteem them with dignity as unto a weaker vessel. And we've discussed before what this idea of being a weaker vessel means, and it's kind of like the fine china. It's something which is more, more beautiful, more, but more fragile, something which needs more protection, something which needs more care. But as I was praying and studying, I, I think I found another layer here that I've never presented before about the weaker vessel that I'd like to, to clue you into or key you into this morning. Um, we, we've, we've mentioned many times that being a weaker vessel does not inherently imply that women are weaker or incapable. It's not that you're worse leaders. It's not that you're less capable of doing things. Uh, it's not that you're inherently worse at anything. That's not what the Bible means when it says that you are the weaker vessel. Uh, Peter has just spent, in the previous context to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, time describing, calling upon women to submit themselves unto their husbands. And look at the command specifically with me in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, verses 1 through 4. Peter says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of hair, or of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. Now again, we'll talk about this next week. We'll, we'll get into it as we're talking about winning our hu your husbands, wives. But men, when you read this, and as we consider what I preached last week about wives submitting themselves to their husbands, we understand that this is a very serious task. Wives are being asked by virtue simply of their position in the home because of headship, not because of incapability, not because of, of intelligence, but because of your position as a wife, our wives are being asked to submit themselves, to place themselves under their husbands, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, specifically to not nag, to not berate, or seek to verbally lead or influence their husbands in a negative way. They're being asked by God to silently fulfill their role as a woman of virtue and of meekness and to trust God to do the work in their husbands. And uh, all the wives in the, uh, in the room, and probably the husbands if you're being honest with yourselves, uh, we can attest to the fact that that is a hard, hard task. For a wife to be that, to, 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 to be quiet and to let her husband lead, to to not berate and not to nag and not to be that kind of a woman is not an easy thing because we husbands are thick-headed and we don't always make good decisions and we get something in our mind and it sticks there even if it's not right and we're stubborn and, and, and all of that's there. And so for a wife to just kind of lead by example and not by words, to just be that meek and quiet spirit is not an easy thing. 
So forget about the idea of women being weaker or less capable in any way. Women are asked by God to hide themselves behind their husbands. Women are asked by God to limit themselves with respect to the headship under which they've been placed. <coughs> they are expected to be weaker vessels. And when we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, 1 through 6 technically, and specifically that women are being told this, have a meek and quiet spirit. Just like Sarah and the holy women of old who called Sarah, who called her husband Lord. And, and the fact that women are being asked to be this means they are making themselves vulnerable, making themselves the weaker vessel. And the better a woman does her job before the Lord, the more vulnerable she will become to you. The better a woman adorns herself in a meek and quiet spirit, the more she depends upon you to be for her what she, not what she can't be for herself, but what she has chosen not to be for herself to let you be it for her. And this is why the virtuous woman is worthy of honor. We read in Proverbs 31, and, and the virtuous woman is not an incapable woman. That woman was going out, she was earning money, she was tending her household, she was keeping affairs in order, she was doing great things. But the virtuous woman is also one who has placed herself under her husband's authority. Now there are areas, as we've talked about with the weaker vessel, where a woman um, is, is, is different. Emotionally, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact um, in, in 1 Timothy that she should not be a leader in the church because... Eve was deceived, uh, we talked about that on Mother's Day, and that because she was the one who was deceived, there is a, a, a emotional handicap to leadership as it comes to spiritual things. But she has also placed herself in a vulnerable position, in obedience to God, in order to allow you to fulfill that responsibility of leading her, caring for her, dwelling with her according to knowledge. And when you fail to treat your wife with that due love and respect, if she's a virtuous woman, she's going to still do what she needs to do, but you are making it much, much more difficult for her to do it. You're taking a responsibility which is already, by nature, somewhat difficult and making it difficult, more difficult still. And so the wife is a weaker vessel, and husbands... It's your privilege to honor her, to treat her in a way that reflects that. But remember what we said this, uh, last time in our message. When you're called upon God to love your wife with your life, and you're called to love your wife with your life because you are indeed one flesh, you and your wife are co-heirs to God's grace. And it says the grace of life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible tells us that the, that the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. And as we consider what that means, being co-heirs to the grace of life, obviously it does not mean that if I'm saved and I marry an unbelieving spouse that she is automatically in. Every person will stand before God and make their own decision. But as God treats and, and blesses Christian families, the scriptures tell us that if there is a spouse within that family that is a believer, that God regards that 
family unit, because it also talks about the children in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, God regards that family unit as sanctified unto him. And there's a different standard, and there's a different level of, 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 of blessing and direction that comes with having a believing spouse in the relationship. Now, I say that just to mention that as we talk about being heirs together of the grace of life, we're not just talking about couples who are both believers. Obviously, that is the ideal, and in that case, you're heirs together of the grace of life and the grace of eternal life. But what we understand from this, as a husband and wife, being one flesh in the eyes of God, your spiritual life and the spiritual life of your spouse are intertwined. There is a link between them. You are one flesh. And this is what Ephesians 5 makes so clear, that your wife is your body and you are the head husband, that you are one body and that spiritually there is a connection between you two. Your spiritual condition before the Lord, husband, is dependent upon how you treat your wife. And we see that here. That as heirs together of the grace of life, if you are not dwelling with your wife according to knowledge and honoring her as unto the weaker vessel, as the scriptures say, that your prayers can be hindered. That word literally being cut off or cut out. We can't say that we are in open fellowship with the Lord if we are failing to treat our wife with the honor and care that is due to her because there is a, a warning of being cut off from fellowship with the Lord if we fail at this. Your failure to treat your wife with care and respect, to properly honor her unto the limits that she has been placed under according to the word of God will directly affect your prayer life. The warning is not simply a minor inconvenience. It's about it being cut off. A loss of prayerful communication between you and God the Father as a result of wrongly treating your wife. Now, husbands, if, if you're engaged into prayer and to the Father, you're seeking the Lord's leading and will, but you're not receiving, this is one area that you should always check. If, if, you, are, if you are feeling as though your, your communication with the Lord is not open, certainly you check your own life and you check for, for, for personal sin and anything between you and the Lord, but you also need to check and see if there's something between you and your wife because if you're not doing your part, your prayers will be hindered. So where does this put us, husbands? How do we dwell with our wives according to knowledge? How do we honor our wives as unto the weaker vessel? I'm going to give you five points today. And as I mentioned, they're not all directly drawn from the text. Uh, this is going to be a little bit more advice. Uh, I apologize if uh, I try to stick very close to the text and draw directly from the text. I apologize if, if, um, if you don't agree with these points here. And, and um, as, as a... Um, man married for eight years, of course, I haven't figured everything out myself, but these are things that, that the wisdom of other men have led me unto, and the wisdom of the scriptures, I believe, bear out these concepts. So husband, understand your wife needs you to listen and to care, but not always offer solutions. Your wife needs you to listen and to care, but not always to offer solutions. Each of our points is going to focus upon the reality that your wife, to some extent or another, is obeying the Lord in submission and yielding her rights and her personal desires and her ambitions to you. And this is, in most women, uh, not necessarily an easy task. A and yet, the purpose of this message is to help you learn how to make it easier for her. 
Women need to express themselves and to know that someone is listening. And I've already mentioned, as we dwell with women according to knowledge, it is a, 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 a benefit to you if you can be that ear. If you want to understand your wife, you want to be the one that your wife is most naturally going to go to when she needs to talk to someone. It doesn't mean she won't go to her sister or mother or whatever the case may be, but you, you, you want her to talk with you. You want to know what's in her heart. You want to know how she's feeling. You want her trust and her respect and her love and for her to come to you with, some, with those things. But there's a natural hindrance that we men have to being a careful listener. Um, and it's not necessarily that we don't listen. Some of us do, some of us don't. Um, that's not across the board, but, but men are naturally problem solvers. We see a problem, we find a solution, we say, here's your problem, there's your solution, done and done. And oftentimes when we're listening to women, we listen to their problems with a problem-solving ear. We hear the problem, we offer a viable, sensible solution, and we expect that to be that. But this is not really what women need oftentimes, men. They don't need your solutions, they need your ear. I'm a pretty quiet guy, and um, growing up, I was amazed that I would sit there and some girl would talk to me, and at the end, she'd say, you've been such a help to me. And she'd walk off. And literally, I said three words. Two of them were probably, uh-huh. But women need to talk it out sometimes. And they'll feel better after talking than before. And if you can be that ear, then not, you're learning of your wife and you're supporting your wife. But what I found as a husband is oftentimes when these conversations come up, if I just say, well, why don't you just do this? That's not what my wife needs to hear at that moment. She's not necessarily looking for solutions. She's looking for an ear. Talking to, a, to women, talking to our wives is not necessarily a difficult thing as long as you're willing to listen and, and truly listen. You know, it can't just be the watch the game out of one eye and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's not, it's not going to work. But when you turn the TV off, when you look her in the eye, when you hear your wife, if she asks for a solution, you provide your, your opinion, but listening to her. And if you want to dwell with your wife according to knowledge, that's a really great step. It's just listening to your wife. Second, understand your wife needs your loyalty and protection. Once again, I urge you to consider this point within the context of your wife being commanded by God to place herself under you yielding her rights to your rights, yielding her ambitions to your ambitions. If she's walking in the will of the Lord, she has actively sought to align her heart and her will with your own to wrap her success around your success. And as we mentioned already several times, this makes her very vulnerable. Things that she might do, things she might do well, she may not do because she's determined to yield them to you. It's not necessarily that your wife is, is a naturally vulnerable woman, but she is making herself more vulnerable, at least, through submission. And what this means is that she is depending upon you to be for her what she is not being for herself. And because your wife has made herself the weaker vessel, and God has, has designated her the weaker vessel, she needs your loyalty and she needs your protection. She needs you to be her greatest defender. She needs you to be her strongest advocate. She needs you to defend her honor. She needs you to speak well of her. 
Imagine what it must be like for a woman to pour herself into submission. She's reading the scriptures. She is trying her best to submit to you. She is doing everything as best she can to align herself with you. You're not always making great decisions, but she is aligning herself with your will and your vision. Everything that we talked about last week. Imagine wife is doing that. And imagine that through all of that effort, you were to turn around and talking with someone, call her something to the effect of the old ball and chain. Or to use one of those slurs that, that people might use from time to time in jest to speak of their wife. Now, your wife might get it, right? Culture, society, whatever, ball and chain. I know how he really feels about me. It's fine. But think about what that expression actually implies. A ball and chain. It implies that your wife is your hindrance. That you're trying to walk and you're dragging her behind you, right? And you can't, you can't speed up because she's there. And you're, you're more tired because she's there. And you can't do what you want to do because she's there because she's always dragging behind you and you're having to drag her behind you. Think of that image. If you call a wife who's seeking to submit to you, truly trying, a ball and chain, even in jest, you have just jokingly said that she is failing at the most difficult but important spiritual ambition in her life. Her entire purpose as your wife is to help you, to facilitate you, to make you run faster, to make you better, to make you more with her than you could be without her. That's her purpose. And to call her a ball and chain tells her, even in jest, that she is failing at her purpose. To say such things could very well deeply frustrate your wife, could even devastate your wife undermine her and everything that she's been trying to do for you. And even more, it will undermine in the ears and minds of others the, the character of your wife. And if you're supposed to be protecting her, you're supposed to be loyal to her, there's really no place for that. God has asked her to yield her rights to you, to trust you, and it's only right that you treat her in turn. Number three, understand your wife's desire for stability and security. As you dwell with your wife according to knowledge, as you honor her as the weaker vessel, you need to remember that your wife desires stability and security. Now notice I say desires. I don't necessarily uh, put it, I don't, I don't have needs here uh, because different women have, have different attitudes and some of this is based upon the Lord's grace. All women want stability and security and need it to some degree, but, but this is a very circumstantial thing in many ways, right? Um, this is as much a human nature issue as it is a wife issue. When I yield my rights to anything, I want to know that I'm yielding my rights to someone that I'm secure, right? If I yield my right of transportation, if I uh, get on a plane, or if I get on a bus, or if I get on a train, or even if I'm sitting passenger seat in the car, I am yielding my right to drive and when I'm yielding my right to have control over that wheel, and maybe men, you, you get this, when you're yielding your right to control over your transportation, you, you need to know that you can trust the person that you've yielded that right to. Because uh, you know how you drive, and you know how, uh, how, to, how you, you handle things, and, and when you're yielding that right, there's just a little bit of, uh, there, that 
a little bit of discomfort, perhaps. It helps to know that your pilot's well-trained, that the conductor knows what he's doing, that the person who's driving is, is, is a good driver, because you're yielding your right to your, secu your security and your stability. You're placing it in someone else's hands. When I delegate some element of my finances to someone else, if I get a, 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 an accountant, I need to know that they are qualified because I'm taking something that is mine, something that has to do with my stability and my security, and I'm placing it in the hands of another. When we as humans yield control, yield our rights, we often find contentment in knowing that our best interests are still at heart, even if I'm not seeking them for myself. Someone else, the person I'm yielding myself to, is seeking my best interests. We want that in every business transaction, and it ought to be that way in your marriage. Your wife is yielding control of her future to you, of her life to you, to your decisions, to your direction, and to your vision. And this is not just her financial future, is it? Her spiritual future, her emotional future. A properly submissive wife has placed all of these considerations under the umbrella of her husband's leadership. And husbands, to the best of your ability, you need to understand the vulnerable position in which this places your wife. I keep using that word. She's the weaker vessel. I use the word desire here instead of need for several reasons. Uh, we cannot offer our wives complete security, and there are certain callings of life which are less secure than others. A wife on the mission field will naturally have less comfort and security than a wife of a godly layman in a church that has a stable career. The wife of a soldier serving on the battlefield will naturally be a little bit less secure and stable than the wife of the man who has the 8-to-5 job 30 minutes from home. Depending upon careers, depending upon God's calling, there may be more or less security. But, but within this context, men, know that your wife does want this. That your wife, that, that, that she is drawn to this. And that because you are placing yourself, her, she has placed herself under you, it's your privilege to facilitate this. To lead our wives into this stability and security, and then to whatever degree we can't offer it, to lead our wives into the reality that God is in control. That if we're where God wants us, then your wife has the privilege of finding her stability and her security, not in the physical circumstances within which the family finds itself per se, but in the fact that God is taking care of us. And I say this n not as a license to, to tell our wives to become less sensitive, but to, to help us comfort them in the place that God has put us. God's overarching care and provision does not give us a license to ignore our wives and to, to, to refuse to recognize that our wives do need, do desire stability and security. God may not have given you the most stable or secure situation, and that's okay. We don't need to feel guilty about the life that God has led us into if indeed God has brought us there. But in an effort to dwell with our wives according to knowledge and in an effort to honor the faith and the trust that our wives have placed in us, we ought to make our decisions with a mind toward whether or not the choices that we are making will make it easier or more difficult for our wives to submit to us in that area. Number four, understand your wife deserves your appreciation. Understand your wife deserves your appreciation. Uh, winning your wife by dwelling with her according to knowledge, making your wife happy by honoring her with the role that God has given to her, Understand your wife deserves your appreciation. Pastor, don't all of these points kind of lend itself to this statement? Isn't everything pointing toward appreciating her? And indeed it does. 
But where I'm going with this is, is that you, you be thoughtful in your appreciation for the position within which your wife finds herself and for the job that she does. As a woman of virtue and submission, she has positioned herself to find her success in your success, to find her happiness in your happiness. Now, depending on the woman, she will gauge that success differently. But as we as husbands, both in word and in deed, help our wives, we need to help them understand their effectiveness as a help me. You know, I struggled with this one. Uh, I do, because I'm one of those people who am naturally never good enough. And my wife had to have a conversation with me one time. I was putting myself down for the umpteenth time. And my wife looked at me and she said, you know, you, you never succeed at anything. It doesn't matter how well things went or how they didn't go, you never succeeded anything. And as we had this conversation, and, and, and she was talking about how it kind of discouraged her. She wasn't saying I don't succeed. She was saying I see myself as never succeeding at anything. Let me, let me clarify that. That's what she meant. No matter how successful you were, you don't ever really see yourself as having succeeded. You always see the flaws. You always see the failings, and, and you magnify the failings. And I do. That's, that's a part of the struggle that I have personally. And she had mentioned that it, it was discouraging her. And as I thought on that, I realized that as my wife wraps her success in my success, her happiness in my happiness, her, her success as a wife and a mother in me, and whether or not I'm able to do what I need to do and, and, and see my responsibilities accomplished, if everything I do comes back with me saying, well, that was terrible, or that wasn't as good as it could have been, or, or yeah, that was good, but it's not just reflecting upon me. It's reflecting upon her, isn't it? It's discouraging her to see me constantly discouraged. It's discouraging her to see me feeling like a failure because that's her job. Her job is to make me a success. I don't know how your wife perceives appreciation. Some wives, they want your time. You take time out of your evening to do something with her. Some wives want your time. Some wives want, want, need actions, acts of service. You come home and you set down the briefcase and you pick up a toilet brush and you help her scrub the bathroom. You know she wanted to get to it that day and it didn't happen for whatever reason, so you do it for her. Maybe you pick up a, a dish rag and dry the dishes after dinner. Some wives appreciate simply your appreciation. Uh, they just want to hear a thank you. Or, or when, when the food is hot and you're, you're in your office, they want you to get up and come instead of waiting for the food to get cold because you wanted to finish what you wanted to do. Some women need that. I don't know how your wife perceives appreciation. But, but as you dwell with your wife according to knowledge, you should find that out. For some women, they just need a big hug at the end of the day. I can't necessarily tell you how your wife shows appreciation or feels appreciation, how you should show appreciation. I could tell you about my wife, but, but it's your responsibility to dwell with your wife according to knowledge and then to take that knowledge and to live it out to know that she's appreciated. Fifth and finally, understand your wife needs your leadership and direction. Your wife is the weaker vessel. She is following your lead. She's living in submission to you. She has put herself in a place where she, she will not step up, she will not lead, she will not direct, unless, except to the degree that you delegate her that responsibility. 
And if you don't step up and fill that void, some men in here are natural leaders. At this point, they're like, well, what's the big deal there? Other men aren't. If you don't step up and fill that void where she steps back and lets you do what you have been called to do, your family, your marriage, will be rudderless. Maybe your wife has been the one holding the spiritual life of your family together. And as she learns about submission, she's been starting to take steps back. Husband, if you don't step into that role, your family will suffer for it. And family, husbands, if your family suffers when your wife, when, if, if your wife is doing better at submitting and your family is suffering spiritually or any other way for it, then there's a problem. You're not leading as you ought to lead. Because if your wife is going to be what she has been called to be, if she is going to be that weaker vessel, unless you've asked her, delegated a responsibility unto her, she's waiting for you to step up. And in the meantime, the family has no leader or is being stunted. And you don't want this. Your wife needs you to make decisions, spiritual and otherwise. She needs you to be the spiritual leader in the home. She needs you to lead the home emotionally, lead the home financially. She needs you to step up and be that leader. Being a man, being a husband, is not about being the one who has license to be irresponsible and, and being reined in by your wife. That's, that's sitcom families. That's not biblical families. A real man, a real leader, steps up and he dictates the direction, the spirit, and the expectation for his marriage and his family. He guides his home. And men, this is our privilege in the marriage relationship. Not only to love your wife sacrificially, but to win your wife's love and affection and devotion. That which she is entitled to, to, to give to you. You, you, have, uh, you have as much a, a right to expect it from her as she has to expect it from you. But as you dwell with her according to knowledge, as you honor her for the way she's serving the Lord by serving you, as you lead her with a humble and gentle hand, it's, it won't just become a contentment for her to do her part, but you will win her. There will be a, a complete joy in doing what she has been called to do because she has so much trust in you and how you're leading her. And that's what we want, to allow her to thrive in the role that God has given her to fulfill.